You're listening to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, certified diversity executive, writer, human rights advocate, and co-founder of the Diversity Movement. On this podcast, I'm talking to trailblazers, game changers, and glass ceiling breakers who share their inspiring stories, lessons learned, and insights on business, inclusion, and personal development. My guest today is Janita Wilson. As Chief Diversity Officer, Janita is responsible for leading Discover's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Strategies. Janita, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yes, I always like to start, Janita, with a little bit about you. Can you tell us about your background, your family, your identity, whatever you'd like to share? Yeah, happy to. So, Jonita Wilson, I identify as a Black African-American woman. I'm in my, I'm a half a century old, as I like to say. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's that's a lot to celebrate, I think, you know. Absolutely. I am married, have been married to my high school. No, actually, I met my husband. My gosh, he's probably going to kill me for this. But I met my husband in sixth grade. We were both, yeah, we were both uh, in the band. He was actually my section leader. And uh, here we are married 27 years later. I love that. Yeah, so we both, uh, we have a dual career household. So his career is just as demanding as mine. And we've been managing that since we've been since we've been married. So as you can imagine, raising a family as a dual career and trying to do it in a way where our uh, two sons felt like we were constantly present was a was a juggle. And so I am a proud, super proud mother of two uh, young men. They are uh, young adults at this point but very successful uh, in their own right. Uh, One will be starting medical school here in a couple of weeks. And the other uh, will be starting his undergrad career Mm -hmm. uh, at a university in Iowa. So we're just super excited, you know, for all of the the blessings uh, that our family has experienced. I have been in HR career-wise doing all of HR professionally for about 25 years now. So, you know, it's actually been fun. I've had the opportunity to, you know, rotate through different areas of of HR, but um, my mainstay has been in the HR business partner space. So I'm just excited to be here and, uh, you know, representing Discover. I have been with Discover now for coming up on four years in in September. Um, Yeah, so it's been a great journey. That is fantastic. And Janita, having made your career in human resources, how have you seen diversity, equity, and inclusion become more important to organizations? And what are some of the reasons that you think we're seeing that shift? Yeah, you know, having been in HR for, like I said, 25 years, it's been it's been interesting watching the shift. And I think that uh, many companies are really starting to understand the importance of DE&I as both the right thing to do and a core business practice critical to their success. It has a strong impact on innovation, creativity, revenue growth, and it's more than policies, programs, unconscious bias training, and Mm -hmm. compliance. While many corporations might have been on some DNI journey, I do believe that the impact of the pandemic and the national attention on racial injustice 
ignited more action and helped them to see that their DNI paths in a new light and really re-examine how to transform their processes and systems to work towards achieving equity and equality. I do think that, you know, they started to make these decisions and then they realized that actually these are really good business decisions. Right. Right. And started <laughs> it started to see some results, which is which is really uh, favorable, right? It's nice. And then I also think that the talent market is also holding companies more accountable in this space. Right. They're using the the company's commitment to DNI as a determining factor to join an organization or not. That's exactly right. And Janita, you know, that's one of the things that I think surprises a lot of business leaders. You know, back in the day, and and you mentioned your age, and I'll say I'm right there with you. So, you know, for Gen Xers, we would get offered a job usually after one interview, which is a little different than it is today, right? Yeah. And we would take that job and we would work really hard with our head down and and move up the ranks based on Mm -hmm. how hard we're working and and a little bit of hope and, you know, those things. Now what's happening is these candidates are really doing as much research on the companies as the organizations are in reviewing resumes, looking at all of those things. Even employees or prospective employees are talking to other employees in advance of an interview. And and yes. companies and company leaders are surprised sometimes to hear that. I think now they're like, okay, we see this shift. But, you know, those prospective employees are doing as much research on those companies as the companies are doing. And it's it's really interesting that you've got to come across from your brand presence to your interviews, your application with that DEI lens, or you're going to lose candidates. For sure. Absolutely. Janita, as we think about some of the systemic inequities that exist in finance and lending, how does Discover work to ensure fairness and provide education for underrepresented consumers? You know, this is a topic I can tell you that really um, resonates with me. Um, When you think about systemic issues and and a lot of the gaps that happen amongst, you know, our our diverse communities, I think first and foremost, banks must acknowledge that their practices created financial injustices and wealth gaps. And it's time to make changes and act, actually act to close those gaps, right? No more talking about it. Let's put some things, some real things, you know, uh, to to, to action. Mm -hmm. As far as Discover goes, Discover believes um, brighter future, financial futures begin by providing our youth with the skills that they need to help them succeed long after they leave the classroom. And more than one in six students in the U.S. do not reach the baseline of proficiency in financial literacy. And so we created, Discover created, the Pathway to Financial Success, which is a curriculum that is bringing financial education to students across the country. This includes more than $14 million that have been invested in high school financial literacy programs across the country. We're we're located, our, our corporate offices are located here in the Chicagoland area. And with that, then more than $1 million in support of Chicago public schools for curriculum materials and, and teacher training. 
in addition, on our website, right, we, we offer many more resources that anyone can access to help them build uh, financial literacy. It does, and also, you know, we focus internally too, right? So while we recognize that, you know, our employees could also be our consumers, right? I have a Discover card, so I'm also a consumer. And we work to educate our employees as well. In fact, our benefits team just launched out a financial matters series of communications that are coming and it gives us all information and raises up more resources for our employees to even go out and educate themselves more on, you know, what's a Roth 401k? What's a 401k? Are you using your benefit to the maximum to make sure that you're getting the match? So it's not just external consumers that we really work to help build financial literacy for. It's also our our employees. And I'm happy being an employee to be able to receive those services. And, you know, the pandemic, I think, really exacerbated financial insecurities for many people and had a disproportionate impact on younger generations and communities of color. And so Discover wants to make sure that we are providing financial products and services that are helping to create brighter financial futures for all. And as a result, for our products, we eliminated all fees for our customers. We don't require a minimum balance. There are no insufficient fund or overdraft fees, and there are no origination fees for any of our loans, and we have no ATM fees. So this way, People, we consumers can keep the money that we worked hard for and use it in places that we need to use it, right? That that's that's important for us to, to keep our families healthy. And then I think that, you know, it's important for individuals to know their credit worthiness. So what's your credit score? You know, that way when you have this information, it does help to manage your finances. Mm-hmm. So we pioneered, I don't know if you know this or not, Jackie, but but Discover actually pioneered getting our customers access to their FICO scores. And it's through a tool, it's through a tool called the Discover Credit Scorecard. If you haven't seen it, go on our website, look it up, yeah. you know, use it. You don't have to be a Discover customer to, to leverage this tool. It's available to anyone. Um, which I think is a great resource for 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 people to have. And then of course, you know. Jackie, we're always looking for ways, uh, new ways to support and enhance financial education and do our part, right, to be really being the change in the industry. And so while we recognize that we have a lot more to do, through our ESG commitment, we are bringing new focus on uh, social impact and financial literacy and financial inclusion. Those are two key topics for us. And so we're working to better define our goals in that space. And uh, we'll continue to drive awareness and and try to create real action. That's awesome. And Janita, as we think about education, right, one one of the issues in this systemic problem that we have with finance and lending is that we're not able to share what we don't know, right? Right. And so for parents who don't have access to, you know, something like the pathway to financial success education for their child, what advice do you give parents on how to make sure that their children are financially literate when when that's certainly a problem? And so many of us have have expressed that, you know, we we learn calculus in high school, but we don't learn the importance of a credit score, which 
you know, is I, I have not used calculus yet, right? Yeah, <laughs> me either. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I think I'd probably fail tremendously if I did. But so, so I mean, Jackie, I think I'll just take it like a little personally, right? So one of the things that 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 my husband and I we do for our family is we educate our children on these things, right? We let them know what our finances look like. And I know that for some that's being that transparent is probably not something that, that you know, a lot of parents probably feel comfortable with. Yeah. But we in our household feel that it's important that our children know and understand this is how much we make. This is what makes up our compensation pro, you know, portfolio. Wow. We talk about and help them to understand, uh, you know, how base salary works, how when you get into your career field, negotiate that, you know, the, mm-hmm. that base compensation, get your money coming in the door. But then we also talk about the components of that package, right? Mm-hmm. So short-term incentive, long-term incentive, and what that means. Um, but also giving them access. And I know, like again, like I said, a lot of people probably won't feel comfortable with this, but giving them access to those, to, to your accounts, right? I mean, you know, of course you manage it, yeah. but when you think about it, if something were to happen to, to you as a parent, mm-hmm. you know, my husband and I, we recognize this, we want to make sure that our children has the, have the easiest path to getting to the money, mm-hmm. right? Not getting themselves tied up in any court systems and so forth to, to, to get there. So, we actually have them as beneficiaries on our accounts and so forth. So while, you know, those are things, of course, that require you as a parent to be more transparent and maybe have some difficult conversations, right? Um, I think it's necessary so that the children, your children, our youth can understand the importance of economic opportunity, financial literacy, financial inclusion, and so forth. Um, but understand the components of what makes up your salary, what makes up the money that comes into your home and how it comes into your home. So all that to say is I think having these open dialogues and and conversations about some topics that could be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. are necessary. Absolutely. And I love that. I think that's such great advice because you can have the conversation of what is going right and some of the things that you might have done wrong and and share that so that they can avoid those those mistakes. I think that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing yeah, that. For sure. Janita, let's talk about some of the other initiatives that you're leading at Discover. And I want to make sure that we talk about your efforts in disability inclusion specifically as well. Yeah, so this is um, something that really gets me excited because I'm really, I'm really proud of of the work that my team is doing. I'm proud of how the Discover Village has come together to help us really execute on these initiatives and bring them to life, right, and drive them to maturity and and accomplish our goals. So we have we have several initiatives that we're working through, right, to accomplish our four pillars, right. So we have four four pillars of of multi year goals that we're really working towards driving. And I'm not going to uh, go in the detail of them, but, and actually, you can actually find all the details on our transparency report. <laughs> so, but really, it's around uh, driving greater diversity representation amongst all groups, you know, really uh, making sure that we have a strong, inclusive work environment where uh, there's no statistical significant difference amongst the feelings of engagement of any of our groups. Also then looking at equity and how are we ensuring that equity 
is really resonating throughout all of our talent processes and that there's no adverse impact being felt by anyone through those talent processes. And also we have an external pillar that really focuses on how are we driving impact in society, right? In our social networks and so forth. But in order to accomplish those things, we have to have things to do, right? And so a couple of things I'd love to highlight, and I'm going to save the disability inclusion for last, because I think that that's a big piece. It's Mm -hmm. an exciting piece. I think it's a game changer. So one of the things that we that we launched and we're super proud about is our inclusive leadership training. It goes far beyond unconscious bias training. I know a lot of people really anchor. We have to have unconscious bias training. But for us, we really wanted to focus on inclusive leadership training to help our leaders build their capabilities. You know, we're taking our leaders through uh, this training. We started with our executive levels and their direct reports. And actually, we, we're to the point now where we are expanding it throughout the company, throughout different levels. It's not a mandatory training, so people have the opportunity to opt in, right, and, and, and go through it. We're offering a, a different modes. So we're doing in-person trainings as well as virtual trainings. It's all administered by my team, which is a small team, by the way. So just to give you an idea By the time that, so we launched this series in March, our very first session was an all day session with our executive leadership team. And then by the, but it's all said and done, we will be rounding out our final session uh, this year with our international uh, team members. So by then we will have done about 65 sessions. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Just to give you an idea, it's, it's, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been, it's been great, but the goal of the, the program is really to help our leaders understand how they can demonstrate more inclusive behaviors mm-hmm. and make more equitable decisions. And so that is obviously going to help us across all four of those pillars, but it will really help us when we talk about driving uh, greater inclusion mm-hmm. and discover. The other initiative I'd love to highlight is around self-ID. You know, inclusion requires active and intentional efforts to engage the full participation and sense of belonging for every employee. And our belief statement really anchors on ensuring that our employees feel like they like they belong in our environment. That's right. Yeah. Right. And and that belonging can mean so many different things and 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 be prescriptive in so many different ways, right? Inclusion is one way, but being able to really understand and drive inclusion through social identity, it can help people understand similarities and differences mm-hmm. and their impact in the workplace or on the workplace, right? So, you know, social identity comprises the parts of a person's identity that come from belonging to groups and feel and fuels our um, distinct perspective and unique value. So this year, uh, now we've already been running a self-ID campaign, um, especially through our affirmative action program. But what we wanted to do is make it more comprehensive and try to shift with the times, right? Because the space is just so dynamic. So what we did this year was we enhanced our self-identification options. Mm -hmm. So we included sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, and an additional field 
uh, to specify, because, you know, when our employees self-identify as two or more races, mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to understand, okay, which two races are we, you know, talking about? Right. And so we added another field to kind of segment that out. So it allows our employees the opportunity to specify which races and ethnicities if they identify with two or more. Mm-hmm. So we kicked that campaign off in April it was actually a pretty successful campaign. And what we what we tell our employees is, you know, it's not mandatory that you self-ID. We encourage that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we, we give them all the reasons why it's important. And so we have seen an, an increase in self-ID. Obviously, these newer options, people are still trying to kind of get the feel of it. Like, what does this mean? Right. And that that's all that's all a piece of the, how dynamic this work is, right? People, some, some people get it right away and, you know, some just take a little bit of time to kind of suss around and just, just figure it out. Um, But we have seen an increase. I can tell you one thing I'm super proud of about this campaign though, is we've seen an increase in our military self ID numbers and our disability numbers, which which is amazing, right? Um, and those are things, especially disability identification. It's something that's so personal mm-hmm. for people. And so, you know, with that, this, and I'm shift over to, to this last point, Jackie, which is around disability inclusion, yeah. which is super important to me and my team members, right? So we have, we have people on, our, on my team who identify in the disability groups, and so just kind of really understanding and, and listening to their stories, mm-hmm. right? Listening to stories across the business and really getting ingrained in what what is what are disabilities, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, we all know that there are disabilities that are more seen mm-hmm. and there are so many more that we don't see. That's right. And we need to be mindful and aware of that and do things that are creating safe spaces, psychologically safe spaces for, for those who, who, who do identify. You know, people enter the work world and advance through their careers with unevenness of advantage, unevenness of opportunity, unevenness of privilege, and unevenness of power. Mm-hmm. So what is fair opportunity is not the same for everyone. That's right. Right. And that spans across all of these dimensions that we're talking about. But disability is the biggest. And so we are committed to addressing these potential barriers. One example is uh, how we're doing this is through our neurodiverse hiring program. Mm -hmm. So we have a goal to hire talent with neurodiverse conditions. Now, keep in mind we already have people in our employee base who have neurodiverse conditions, That's right. right? So we are aware of that. But right now through this program, we're being really intentional about, you know, bringing some normalcy to that. And it's okay. And we want this population in our work environment because there's so much richness and what, you know, can be brought to, to our teams, right, to helping us grow, helping us be more innovative and so forth. So we are actually partnering with a third-party workforce solutions firm that has an extensive talent pool and will help us with best practices and guide us through designing 
a holistic end-to-end hiring program, right? So through implementation, training our leaders, we really want to make sure that we're creating and sustaining an engaging ex- experience um, for, for, for this population. That's so great. You know, and it's important to remember that so many people with disabilities are unemployed or underemployed. Yes. And also, you know, what I, I tell people so often is that the disability group is something that any of us can become a part of at any time through age or diagnosis or accident, right? And so we all should want to work for an organization that embraces us as we navigate life and, you know, creates those conditions for us to be able to continue to work well and successfully and embraces what that looks like for us. So I think that's so fantastic. I also love that you're doing inclusive leadership training. I think that's so important. And I've had a few conversations about that recently that, you know, generally people become leaders because they're wonderful, talented, (laughs) you know, independent contributors. Yeah. But they, there's not that, um, that training in such a big bridge between independent contributor and manager or leader. And there is a lot to learn. And especially now as we're prioritizing as a society, DEI, what does that look like? And what are the expectations of employees now for an inclusive workplace? And how do you become an inclusive leader? So I think that is really fantastic. And Janita, you mentioned, um, your transparency report, looking toward a brighter future. So you released that earlier this year. I'd love to hear some of the things that you learned by creating and then releasing that report. Yeah, so um, this report was seriously like an act of love, right? Just cultivating this report was, was something that was so exciting for me, for our team, for Discover, and it really was was a full team effort to bring this together. So we were so proud in March when we launched our first DNI transparency report. And we had we had everybody, like so many people in our organization involved in this, um, our CEO, our CHRO, our general counsel, you name it, uh, was was involved in this report. And when we spent that full day of training, inclusive leadership training with our executive committee, we actually spent a good majority of that day just really deep diving into the report and helping them to really understand, you know, the components of the report and really how they can help us to represent the goodness in the report, but then also talk about our opportunities, right? Uh, so that that's what a transparency report does. It, it highlights the goodness and it highlights the areas <laughs> that you need some help for. So one of the things that was important for us with this report, well, actually there were several things, but we wanted to make sure that we were keeping the report within a realistic number of pages, mm-hmm. right? And so there's, you know, and through benchmarking, we realized that there are some, you know, really great reports out there and some of them like really stem like 60 plus pages. And for us, it was important that we um, really focus on getting, you know, being concise, getting to our point and doing it in a way that was more palatable in, in, in fewer pages. So that's why our report is like, I think it's like 32 pages long. 
And I think that that is inclusive of all of our, our section pages as well. But it's more about the content that's in this report that's important. We did a really good job highlighting um, our workforce diversity and includes examples and data that demonstrate the company's commitment to a more equitable environment. One of the things that I'm super proud of too with this report is all of our photos in this report. There's not one stock photo. Mm. All of our photos are pictures uh, of, of real pictures of our employees, of our community, of our office space and so forth. So, and we were intentional in that because we wanted to make sure that our employees and our communities saw themselves in our report. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was a, a, a goal of ours. Our transparency report shows that we have strong workforce diversity. Mm-hmm. And that over the past few years, we've increased overall representation of diverse groups. Now, we understand like talent movement is very dynamic, right? And so, you know, we see the ebbs and flows. And I watch actually on a monthly basis through my dashboard how our numbers are moving in these groups. We made it a point to highlight our workforce diversity, and we did it in in many different ways through representation. We did it through, you know, showing our, our employee movement numbers. And so that was important. But we also have strong year-over-year employee engagement. And that's another number that I watch. Every time we do a poll survey, <clears throat> I make it a point to look at that data, look at those breakdowns by um, demographic. Mm-hmm. And so that year-over-year employee engagement really anchors on that second pillar that I talked about around inclusion. And, you know, we, we leverage that employee engagement survey to really help us understand how are our diverse groups feeling with our company. And, of course, we test and measure different, you know, sentiments and so forth. One thing I can say that, you know, in the report that, that's really highlighted is about our pay equity. Mm-hmm. Um, since 2018, we've been intentionally focused on pay equity. And we've been doing a biannual pay equity reviews and um, have definitely taken appropriate actions. Mm-hmm. So having accounted for factors such as role, tenure, and geography, we've determined that women and minorities at Discover earn an average between 99 cents to $1.03 for every $1 earned by men and non-minorities. So this is something that we highlight and talk about in the report. You know, all that to say, while we have strong benchmarking, right, we do, we were bold and actually did a comparison. And we put our numbers in the report comparison to external benchmark numbers. Okay. Right. And so we did that as a way to show, like, look, we can benchmark ourselves against ourselves all day long. Mm -hmm. But how do we know what good might look like? Right. Are we good? Are we not? Are we average and so forth? And so we were intentional in making sure that we leverage some benchmarking data, some external data to show by comparison, how are we faring? And I think that that was something bold and it's not something I've seen other reports to do. And that's something that when people have looked at our report, they've called that out and actually recognized us for for, for doing that, right? It was actually a pretty courageous move Uh when you think about it. But while we have all that goodness, there's opportunity, right? And so we know that there's opportunity. And so we don't take our strong points for granted at all. Mm -hmm. We use them as an opportunity to help us catapult and continue to do better. We do recognize that our work is ongoing 
and we're applying more intentionality and focus in, in driving greater engagement and inclusion amongst all of our diverse groups, closing the gaps where we see that there's opportunity. We're working towards meeting our diverse group representation goals. Uh, we're continuing to test and measure our, our talent processes, you know, making sure when we talked, when I spoke earlier about equity, you know, and when I talk about, when I, you know, shared with you about our pay equity, we're taking a similar test and measure approach to our talent processes and just making sure that, you know, where there's opportunity to continuously improve our processes, we're doing that. So we test them every year. And then we're continuing to find more opportunities to make long lasting external impact in communities to, to make sure that we're, you know, helping people achieve brighter financial futures. Absolutely. And Janita, you know, I think this is great, but you're going to have a lot of leaders that say transparency report, right? And that's <laughs> that they get nervous, right? Because they're they're not sure, you know, what it really looks like inside their organization other than the sentiment that they think, right? And what advice do you give to organizational leaders? about the importance of transparency in their DEI journey? While there is not one written prescription on how to do this work, many insights and lessons learned typically span across all organizations and industries, though, when, when you think about the DNI space. So we all bump up against similar issues, and it's up to us to think about how we will take these lessons and apply, and apply them on our own unique journey. You know, transparency, I think, is important, right? It helps It helps to basically let everyone know, your workforce know, and depending on if you're sharing your data externally, your external population know, especially the talent that you're trying to attract. Listen, these are our source spots, right? We recognize these are our source spots, and this is what we're doing to act, to, to fix those things, because no one's perfect. No organization is perfect. But I think that if companies get to the point where they feel comfortable to be transparent and share, this is what it is, then I think it gives future talent in your employees, your village is what I call them, you know, the opportunity to come in and, and help fix it, right? So it's like, I can be a part of that movement and really do something that's meaningful, mm-hmm. right? To help drive this long-term systemic change. So you know, really data is important, right? It, it, it helps you to understand where you need to focus. It helps you to understand, you know, how you want to be intentional about going after specific things, but it also helps to bring people on board too. I always say it, it's, it's hard to challenge data, although I do have people who do. <laughs> but, you know, so it's important too to make sure that with that said, to make sure that, that, you know, you have strong integrity in your data. You know, another thing is assess the pulse of your organization. So there might be some things that your company is just not ready to receive and process. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So it's like, you got to table it and then maybe find an opportunity to come back. And I use equity as an example. So when I first started doing this work, I tried to introduce the concept of equity related to diversity and inclusion. And I realized that my organization just wasn't ready for that yet, right? Equity and DNI, like I do believe is a newer concept that people are starting to to wrap their minds around. Sure. 
but it's still taking some work. So that's an example. So I pulled it back, but then 2020 came and it gave me the opportunity to introduce it again and then it landed, right? And so I think that it's important to learn about what systemic barriers exist in our policies and processes, test measure them and problem solve them. And then also understand that DNI is a business imperative, right? It's an enabler to our business success. And one of the most powerful actions that a company can do is to promote DNI is to lead from the top. And you know, our executive committee has really done a good job at Discover of doing that. Our CEO has been just, you know, really a strong partner in helping us to, to advance, you know, DNI in our organization. You know, and I definitely lean on our village, right? It's our people, our people who are ready to get involved and really take charge. And everyone in the ecosystem has responsibility to achieve these goals. That's great. And, you know, I I love that you said that not every organization is ready for everything all at once, right? Sometimes you have to step through the process. And with equity, in order to understand that and want to advocate for that, you have to understand that there are systemic problems within our society. And a lot of people really didn't see that until 2020. And so, you know, when you're thinking about, well, everyone has the, you know, the same opportunities, you just have to take advantage of that. You really have to dig in and understand that that's not the case. And these systemic inequities are set up intentionally to create different outcomes for different people. And so that's why there is such a need for equity. and, And that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Janita, I often hear from diversity leaders how challenging this work can be, right? When sometimes you are a team of one or you feel like a team of one, what are your tips for succeeding in the space and achieving those organizational goals that you set for DEI? Yeah, so it really is um, about some of the things that, that I highlighted, right? It's about understanding the data, helping your business partners understand the data, and constantly communicating that, right? So establishing some type of scorecard. Before I had the transparency report, I established an internal scorecard against those four pillars that gave our organization the data so that they could see how we're moving, right? How we're moving the needle. But I also make it clear within our organization that, listen, this work is not the CDO work, right? This work is not the DNI teamwork. It's not the HR work. It's it's the company's work, right? And so in understanding that, then everyone knows that they play a role in the success of integrating and embedding DNI within our organization in everything that we do, right? Within our ways of working, within how we act, how we behave. And so we also uh, make sure the DNI is integrated in our in our behaviors. And so, you know, I recognize that I have a village, right? And so I put all my tentacles out, and I remind people too that listen, just because you may not sit in the DNI office doesn't mean that you can't help us. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I've had the opportunity to really establish some some really good relationships across the company with many different levels, uh, many different groups to really help uh, drive the maturity and success of DNI within Discover. Mm, that's fantastic. And then 
you know, as we're getting into a little bit of the personal, and 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 I love that you um, talked about data, because what's what's important to recognize is that you have to measure because sometimes the movement is incre- it's small, it's incremental, yeah. but it can have an exponential effect on your business and the culture and the, that sense of belonging. But, you know, if you're looking at the, you know, percentages, right, that movement might be very small. That's why you need to measure it so that as you know, you're going in for additional resources, um, additional team members, you've got that data to show the value of what you're doing. So I love that. And then, Janita, I did want to come back to, since we're talking about the, um, you know, how does it feel being, you know, leading in in the space when it's sometimes hard as a DEI leader of small teams or a team of one. I want to double back to managing a dual career household because I know a lot of professionals have that challenge, right? And just in feeling like they can't get it all done all the time. Tell me what your tips are for how you manage that as a, a professional raising children and, you know, your, your husband working as well in his career. And what are your tips for us there? Yeah. So, uh, gosh, Jackie, you're making me like go back and reflect on like all the years. Right. Uh, and, and it, it's funny cause I just, you know, my, my youngest just, uh, finished his, what I call his elementary school career, right? Yeah. So he graduated from high school this year and it was a countdown and I had a, a big countdown because I was like, Oh good. I have like 30 more days of lunches that I had to put <laughs> together. Um, so, you know, the countdown, the, the countdown was, was good. And so, um, you know, Gosh, it's it's been such a journey. So one of the things that that I would say that you know was important for us in our house and in really managing our household was to make sure that we had a calendar mm-hmm. and what that calendar looked like, and everything was merged, right? So it was uh, and even to this day we still do this. Is it on the calendar? Can you put it on my calendar? Yeah. <laughs> so we manage a couple of calendars. So sometimes marrying up those calendars can be a challenge, but. You know, so so we make sure my husband and I made sure that we sat down, you know, and just really compared and looked at our day to days. Right. So so where do you have to be? You, know, you have to travel when you have to travel and then putting on top of that our, our, our children's schedules because our children, uh, you know, were athletes and, yeah. and had, you know, things that they were doing from from an athletic standpoint, getting to, to training and, and so forth. So I would say managing a calendar was critical for us to be able to balance out our lives. I think the other thing is we work to create a self-sufficient children as much as we could. And so teaching them really the basics of life, right? Unloading the dishwasher, loading the dishwasher, yeah. washing the dish, because Jackie, I don't know about you, but growing up, I didn't have a dishwasher, right? right? Mm-hmm. I was the dishwasher. That's so, me too. <laughs> so, so teaching them those basic life things and how to sustain on your own, do your own laundry, fold and put your laundry away. Although the fold and put your laundry, the fold and put your laundry away was a battle, um, <laughs> you know, Still is that a battle. basket in the corner yeah. that never seemed to get put yeah. up, right? <laughs> and it still exists. But with that, then it's understanding, pull back on that stuff, right? Because some of the stuff is just not important. 
So if, if, you know, the floor doesn't get swept that night, guess what? That's okay. If the clothes in the basket don't, don't get folded and put away, that's okay. Because the bottom line is all of that is going to be there waiting for you when you come back. Mm -hmm. And so it was a matter of let's prioritize the important things. And so that's what we did right. Um, with, in our household now, I didn't live close to my family. So, you know, it was, uh, although we live in the same state, we live about maybe an hour apart. And so it wasn't like, you know, I could just call, hey, mom, can you help me do this? Or my sisters, can you help me do that? On some occasions I could, right? But it was planned. So we really had to figure out how to pull on and leverage our, our local network. And so we became, you know, and also it's a great way to, to form lifelong friends too. So we really built our network, relied on our network to help us, um, you know, towed our kids around, but we did it in reverse too, right? So we took their kids and and did all that too. So it was really a matter of prioritizing, but understanding what was important and who was important and, you know, making sure that our children felt like regardless, we were always there. My husband and I never missed one of our children's activities. Wow. Wow. That is fantastic. Those are such good tips. And, you know, it's so important. I also use a calendar. My daughter is in college now, so it's it's a lighter than it was when she was yeah. a high school <laughs> athlete. I'll tell you. Uh, that's fantastic. Janita, as a leader in financial services, there are not a lot of peers that look like you. So will you share a little bit about how you navigate being the only one or one of a few at your level And what advice would you give for our listeners who are endeavoring to forge their own path um, where we're often represented? Yeah. So um, while walking into certain rooms and being at certain tables and so forth, you know, it is glaring often that I'm the only one there, right? Throughout my entire career, that's been pretty glaring. And so, you know, while, while it's clear to me, um, you know, I may, I've made sure throughout my career that I have formed good relationships across all, right, across all levels and so forth. So I've really worked to have um, really good mentors, really good advocates, allies, and so forth, regardless of what they look like. Yeah. And there was benefit in that, right? So we all have something in common. And oftentimes, too, I'm not always the only woman in the room, right? And so I've made it a point, too, in those in those certain settings to make sure that I have a strong connection with the women in the room as well. But I do leverage my network to kind of help me figure out, you know, how do I navigate some of these instances? Um, and especially people who have been there before or who are there like me. So, you know, I can't express enough how important that network is just even to be able to unleash, right? So that's right. (laughs) All of your network be like, can I just tell you about this? (laughs) And so uh, I try not to, though, to get so anchored in always being the only one Mm -hmm. or being the underrepresented one in the room. And I really try to lean more so in what's my value in this room? What's my value at the table? Mm -hmm. And what is it that I can say or do that makes sure that I'm garnering that respect so that I can continue to be at that table, regardless if I'm underrepresented or not? So those are just some of the things that 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 I've pulled on to help me 
in those spaces and, and also to not feel so alone. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. And I, I certainly have been one of those onlys in a, in a room before. And that network becomes so important. And, you know, a lot of times people are not intentional about building that network. Right. And you really need to, as a professional, especially when you're, you know, one of a few, when you're new in your career, building that network is one of the most important things I think that you can do. So that's I great agree. advice. Janita, you were featured in Adweek last year, and you discussed how to help your employees become advocates for DEI. And, you know, sometimes your C-suite understands the importance from the perspective of your culture and sustainable business, but it's tough to get those employees on board sometimes. Can you share some of those best practices with us? Yeah, you know, I can say at Discover, I feel like I've been pretty lucky because a large portion of our employee base is on board. And oftentimes I hear, what can I do to help? How can I help? Which has been fantastic, right? And in itself sometimes too, it's a little bit of a challenge because it's like, oh my gosh, how can I really take this person and mobilize them? Because you don't want to just put them to the side and be like, I'll be back, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're right there in the moment with you. So for me, it's really been, okay, what can I have on hand? When I do get that reach out from someone that says, what can I do to help? How can I mobilize them in that moment to go do something to help, right? Because I don't want to miss that opportunity. Now, I would be naive to believe that everyone in our system is on board, right? And so what I've learned, though, is people are not always that vocal about not being on board. That's right. And I think a large part of the reason too is because they don't want to call attention to themselves or be looked at as the one that's just not not on board, right? That's not a part of the movement. And so those are the people that actually make me the most nervous. I'd rather hear from people, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because then that transparency there, but it also then gives me the opportunity to kind of take a little bit of pulse and process where they are, where they are along the journey. Because I think Jackie, you said this a little bit when we were talking about data and movement, this is a journey. It's not a sprint, mm-hmm. right? And so with that, it's important to meet people where they are on this journey, That's right. right? And one of the things that I tell my team often is we got to make sure that we're calling people in. Mm-hmm. We're not, we don't call people out at all. Mm-hmm. And if there's someone who is counter or we think is in counter to what we think and believe that helps us to advance DNI, that's okay. Let's have a conversation about it, right? Mm-hmm. When you're ready to talk about it. But I'm not going to sit here and make you feel bad because then what happens is then they go dormant and we lose them. Yeah. Right. So at least if people are out talking about it, talking about their discomfort and so forth, that has helped us to really kind of uh, assess where they are on the journey and they come back, right? They may not come back in the next three months, but eventually they'll circle back. And especially if we can create psychologically safe spaces for that population to come in and have a conversation with us. So calling people in has been uh, a critical uh, for for our success journey um, and and, and bringing those people along who just might not be on on board uh, with us on this journey. So, you know, again, I use data. 
you know, the transparency report, it was, it was an interesting, it played so many different roles and it continues to play so many different roles. I think one of the things that it does though, is it makes it real. Yes. And so by putting this information out there, putting the data out there, putting the things that we do where everyone can feel like they see themselves in that helps to bring people along a bit more, right? So it's not just about when you think about the dimensions of diversity, people have a tendency to go just towards more like some of the more visible attributes, right? Mm -hmm. So, but one of the things that we've highlighted in our inclusion training is all of those dimensions, right? So everyone that sits in our ecosystem is on that dimension. Yes. So, so helping people see that has been important. Absolutely. Janita, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. I want to just end with what is the message that you want to leave our listeners with today? Oh, um, gosh, I have so many messages I can share. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so passionate about this, Jackie, if you can't tell. Um, But I think that inclusion um, and equity requires active and intentional efforts to really engage the full participation and sense of belonging for every employee, right? And it kind of gets back to to the last conversation we were just having. But increasing transparency is important. It it reinforces commitment to advancing DE&I. And this visibility can really help us to show where our businesses are taking real action versus simply being performative. And this gives permission to, to be held accountable right through that action. And I just say, you know, lastly, get involved, do something, and we can all win if we just come together. Absolutely. Janita, thank you so much. So many amazing tips. I'm so excited about all the things that you shared uh, for our listeners. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please take a moment to subscribe and review this podcast and share this episode with a friend. Become a part of our community on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. This show was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Jackie Ferguson. Join us for our next episode of Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. Take care of yourself and each other.